again to another episode of mike mike and oscar we got an oscar race checkpoint and a big industry update checkpoint i guess the industry itself is at a checkpoint right now uh yeah. got ourselves a double strike we're dealing with michael i'm your co-host mike one this is co-host also mike is a double strike like a double stamp yes from down yeah yeah you can't triple stamp a double triple stamp. but if you can but you can we, we i thought the whole movie was about triple stamping it <laughs> didn't we do the film study on dumb and dumber and did we no way we need to then. Sure. That's like a that's a two parter. That'll go back to the uh, the OG two part. Remember those two part film studies we did? And but the does that mean we have to do movies? what was the 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 sequel that was terrible? Not Dumb and Dumber or <laughs> Dumb and Dumb and Dumber Two yeah. T O. Yeah, was that a thing? Yeah, yeah. But I mean Black Panther and uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You want to put Dumb and Dumber on the so. <laughs> Dumb and Dumber? Oh, <laughs> well, we've immediately gone off course for this episode, so that's good. <laughs> But yeah, no, we're forced to do a major industry race checkpoint today because, yeah, best laid plans are, are what's the saying about those? They don't, uh, God smites us. You can't eat them a half you, hour before you swim. You can't eat them. <laughs> I agree. Uh, Emmy nomination reactions. I am thrilled. I'm really proud of myself. Uh, for all the research I've done, for all the shows I've watched, I keep bragging about it to you, and yet we cannot do that episode yet. We have to postpone the Emmy Nom episode because SAG-AFTRA had other plans for us, and yes, we're going to get to some Barbenheimer first reactions. That'll be a fun way to finish this episode with some Wonka, Napoleon, and Bob Marley trailers, but uh, oh my God, this industry is 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 insane right now Mike. yeah this is uh this is some historic stuff we're dealing with and this uh we kept saying this might be the biggest drama of the summer and it got off to a hot start yesterday on the 13th but yeah it's a double strike time so for the first time since the vietnam war era both sag aftra the screen actors guild and the wga which we've reported on and has been on strike for over 11 weeks now uh, multiple major unions representing all the writers and all the working actors in hollywood they are both on strike uh for the first time simultaneously since 1960 yeah, and do check out all the great reporting on this historic moment uh, in all the trades. You know, we've been consuming everything, IndieWire, THR, Deadline, Variety, etc., etc. Uh, they're doing a bang-up job. Uh, they do chronicle the turbulent history of uh, actor-studio labor relations. And, uh, yes, I think, uh, I think these are the dates I've seen. 1960 is certainly the date where both guilds went on strike the writers have otherwise struck in 07 88 85 81 73 and yes 60 while the actors have struck in 1986 for 14 hours so most people don't refer to that strike but 1980 they struck for three months and yes six weeks uh they struck back in 1960 hmm. after the writers guild started things off and and the writers guild struck for about uh, maybe a couple weeks more than them, uh, two and a half months back 
then. This one kept having delays, and it was like 12 days. Then it's as as the 12th and 13th rolled around, it was like, we're not going to strike until midnight on the 14th. And that, that was, to me, suggesting that, like, oh, maybe they, they're they close to a deal and they, like, want to get it across the finish line before they actually have to call the strike. But if you believe what, you know, Fran Drescher and others have been saying, that's not the case. SAG-AFTRA was unable to come to a new deal with the AMPTP, all the executives and producers and production companies in Hollywood. And SAG-AFTRA President Fran Drescher, who was questioned not too long ago by major members within the SAG Guild, the guild that she's the president of, uh, for playing too nice and maybe accepting a less than perfect deal or a less than uh, radical deal for the SAG union itself. Uh, She let out Mm -hmm. multiple statements yesterday condemning the AMPTP and their place in history on these negotiations. Quote, there was nothing there. It was insulting. Uh, she re- she said the SAG union would be rejecting incremental changes on its contract with film and TV producers. Quote, it came with great sadness that we came to this crossroads. We had no choice. We are the victims here. We are being victimized by a very greedy entity. I am shocked by the way the people we have been in biz with are treating us. I cannot believe it, quite frankly, how far apart we are in so many things, how they plead poverty, that losing money left and right while giving millions to CEOs. It's disgusting. Shame on them. That's one of the many quotes from Fran Drescher as she addressed the media. And who knew the nanny (laughs) would basically give the Bill Pullman Independence Day delivery on this speech. My God, people were riveted. I've I've watched it. I know know a lot of the people in the room that have been reporting uh, on this press conference and and reporting on, on various times where she's gotten up on the pulpit and really went at it. I'm just... I can't believe I'm saying this, but Fran Drescher seems to be the leader yeah. we need. Uh, she's the leader of our time right now. I'm, I'm very impressed. Uh, Screen Talk in particular, they mentioned how uh, the the press in the room were like stifling cheers. Like they were starting the cheer and then they all oh, remembered they had to be <laughs> we have objective. To be imbi- yeah, unbiased here. Members of the <laughs> press and watchdogs and all that. But she's acquitted herself extremely well. You're right. Uh, there was there was I would say there was a lot of pushback against her leading into this. It does beg to question whether this delay was negotiations getting closer or everybody getting their ducks in a row, I would say is my guess at, at why they all wanted to agree to that extension. but these have been fight fighting words now from both sides for a while. It does not. Look like there's a deal that's that is anyway. And if you listen to Drescher, she says the extension was in bad faith on the AMPTP side anyway, saying that they were pretty much hiding behind locked doors, barely came to the table at all. There's tons of uh, working actors and writers on TikTok talking about this and their experiences having to go uh, in in dealing with all this stuff and the strike uh, that is now happening before us. And this the SAG strike does come a mere uh, couple days after there was this. Just this unbelievable Dominic Patton for Variety got a quote from somebody, some executive in some studio who was anonymous, but went full mask off when it comes to the WGA strike. Here's the quote, quote, the end game is to allow things to drag on until union members talking about the WGA start losing their apartments and losing their houses. Uh, Easy, Ebenezer. It's a, a cruel but necessary evil. No, it's just evil and it's unnecessary. I mean, it's I, I can't believe like the Mensa level thinking that goes on and how detached from reality. Oh, That's the one thing that the, the unions have going for them this time around in this strike. Everybody who has spoken out on the side of the studios 
has just revealed themselves to be so out of touch with common people and the reality of making a daily living in a city like Los Angeles or New York. And blatantly hypocritical, as we're about to get to here. I mean, Bob Iger is no better of any of it. I mean, there's no yeah, good it's guys. Sad. I mean, it's, it's, it's sad because we've loved it. We've loved a lot of uh, Bob Iger uh, over the past decade, and then we've are sobered up right now because we've also disliked a lot of Bob Iger over the last decade. And, and this is why Yeah, there's a tier system. He's good when he's dealing against the Republican party, but he's terrible when dealing with his own people. Sometimes here's yeah. what Bob Iger said. Uh, this is Bob Iger dealing with, uh, Again, a man who makes $27 million annually, reportedly, Bob Iger, a man who just signed a three-and-a-half-year contract extension as head rodent in the House of Mouse now for the next uh, couple foreseeable future. He had an interview with CNBC's show Squawk Box, and he had a couple quotes as well. There is a level of expectations that the writers and actors have that is just not realistic. And he goes on to say... They are adding to a set of challenges that this business is already facing, and that is very disruptive. Okay, you may ask yourself, oh, Squawk Box, it's a financial show. If you know about it, Bob Iger, he's a CEO of Disney. Where was this interview held? Was it on like the tra- some trading room floor? Was it in a big office building somewhere? Was Bob Iger hard at work? No, Bob Iger, the man who's saying how unrealistic working actors and writers are for like wanting better benefits and, and not to have their likenesses consumed by AI in, in the uh, foreseeable future gave this interview across the idaho mountains during what is called uh, lovingly and deridingly the billionaire summer camp that happens often that you know tim cook jeff bezos bob Iger attend regularly a bunch of billionaire ceos and c-suite executives attend this uh, basically just hang out with each other in the mountains of idaho yeah, succession right yeah, Suc- pretty much succession is real yeah so let's review the sides on these strikes here on one side you have every actor and writer trying to get better health benefits living wages and job security against the oncoming explosion and exploitation of artificial intelligence one side is working actors who, according to U.S. News and World Report in 2021, made an average salary of about $62,600, and writers who, according to what you believe on the internet, have a median income somewhere between $100,000 and $200,000. That's one side of this argument. The other side... And, and Mike, if I could just add to that real quick, sorry. 1980 was the last time that the actors had updated health care provisions. Yes. Yeah. Well, times That's ha- what's ludicrous about this. that much. <laughs> and as far as out of touch dealing with the c-suites that's one i mean the actors and writers are one side the other side are the executives like we said and cnbc had an article that highlighted david zasloff for for uh, example here who has made almost a half a billion dollars in the last five years which is 384 times more than what the average hollywood writer makes so there is this huge disconnect it's a microcosm of what's happening in america there's obviously the exploitation on both sides because i mean the sag being on strike is the biggest deal for the amptp because they can handle the writers if a tom cruise or a matt damon who's already started or one of these people with these giant platforms comes out and starts disparaging the studios on behalf of the little guy it's going to make every studio look infinitely worse in the eyes of the public because they have the actors have those platforms already built into their existence to use i am bewildered by some of the ai discourse but and and of course i'm in favor of those did you hear the groundbreaking offer from the amptp about ai for background Uh, actors they basically said they we're gonna own your likenesses for in perpetuity and we'll pay you one day's work 
which is $135, some people were saying, yeah. as a studio rate. Yeah. And we can have your likeness to use in whatever we see fit in for all time. That's the groundbreaking offer from the studio side. Give so you, you could one be day's eating pay. an apple. <laughs> yeah, you could be eating an apple and then be put into the Willy Wonka 3000 uh, remake. Yeah, or uh, you know, or dressed as a in full, or full Nazi regalia in a new in a oh, war God. movie. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, it's ridiculous. That was the offer from the studio side. But getting back to the actual numbers you're talking about, Michael. Yes, the AI is an is a looming issue. That's more of the existential threat to to the future of the business that I do think they they should be banging the table over. However, in in sheer dollars and cents, the numbers that you just meant, mentioned for Zaslov's last five years four hundred ninety eight million, and of course, if you added all the CEOs and their earnings up, I would guess that those yearly salaries. And those yearly bonuses would be enough to fix the financial issues. Oh, you think? At least to the writers. <laughs> at least to the writers. Because look at the writers have talked about it. And, and maybe, you know, maybe they're underselling it. And that could be true. However, they said it would cost a couple hundred million to make them whole or, or a deal that they would do. Yeah, we're talking about like, like 4% of the total revenue pie here that, that the yeah, industry 300 makes. something million. Yeah, 300 not, something million. It's not, I mean, this could be fixed. Very easily. This could be. I mean, if if Zaslav wanted to trade in half his stock and a, and just put it into a writer's fund or put it into an actor's fund, this is probably fixed immediately. Like this is not. That's a, it's a joke. Blatant hypocrisy. And we've seen CEOs go without salaries in particular years when the businesses are down. We've seen that happen in many an industry. I just I don't understand this. I mean, these guys are. I mean, this is cats. purge level stuff. Like a, a CEO worth billions of dollars sitting on a mountain range in a summer camp that's exclusive only for people who make decisions that impact the rest of the world, saying that the little guy is disconnected from reality. Like that's a movie scene, man. That's a dystopian apocalyptic future movie scene. Meanwhile, they're gouging us as the consumer. We're forced to, because we're addicted to all these shows and these streamers, we're forced to have however many subscriptions going on at once, or we're forced to choose from them. We're forced to pay more for PBOD. And these are the people, by the way, who, while gouging us, are saying, well, we're going to be the, the judge, jury, and executioner of these shows on streaming. You're not going to get our entire catalog anymore, because now we have ads to answer to, so we're going to pick and choose when we kill shows, when we pull shows with no reason, when we license shows that we made out to different streaming services, so if you like those shows, you're going to have to pay even more out of your pocket to go see them, because we just wanted the money from that other streamings. Like, this is all... It, it, yeah. How and, and, there are people out there, Mike, that are on the side yeah. of the studios or are saying at this point, well, these are just greedy actors and writers. Come on, man. No, they're exploiting VFX houses to give us clearly what is lower quality VFX, especially on these streaming shows. Uh, eat your heart out, Disney Plus. And, and then they're de-incentivizing higher performance with upfront payments uh, on all the, the the streaming models right now, you're just completely neglecting revenue sharing opportunities, bullying all of these newer filmmakers into selling their rights in perpetuity to certain films. Like I said, up front for these streaming plays instead of more of a uh, let, let's let's be honest, a Blumhouse method of sharing in the back end, which has been which has been industry standard for years and years and years. 
And you add to that the fact that they have pieces of the pie or parts of the pie that actors and writers and, and everybody, they don't touch. PVOD goes all to studios. Uh, uh, you know, the new, you know, the, the tax breaks that they get from closing down all these productions, that's all studio profits. And then, yeah, you have CEOs making tens of millions of dollars a year and then double that in bonuses. And then you get thousands of recent layoffs. It's just the height of blatant hypocrisy. One of my favorite greed. trends that's been that I saw a couple times already on TikTok was like actors and actresses who we, you know, if you're in this space, you know the names of them. But if you're not, if you're just a fair weather movie fan, you still know their faces. And they're they're responding to comments where people are calling them greedy and lazy and entitled, et cetera, et cetera. And they're showing their payment stubs, their residual stubs for like nine cents, six cents. Right. You know what I mean? You're you're about to see a whole different level of picketing and protest from the actors, which is a humongous organization, 160,000 strong. And yeah, you're going to have all those recognizable faces, all those big names leading it, but you're also going to have masses, masses protesting. Uh, Haley Griffith was in the back, was behind Fran uh, Drescher yesterday uh, from Satanic Panic. We had her on this show. We talked to her. It was was funny. But yeah, this is going to be very widespread. And I mean, talk about a microcosm of the country. There's also... There's a lot of unions that are that have had enough and are stepping up right. I mean, it's going on with UPS. I just saw a supermarket. My brother uh, having to do. Yeah, it. I my mean, brothers. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. He's he's been. They had a practice strike the other day. Huh. <laughs> After his 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 shift. Good. Good. But I mean, this is. There is a chance here for something revolutionary to come of it, not just pertaining to the entertainment world. I don't think it'll happen, but there is a chance that this could be a signal for some kind of giant change nationwide. But the, even if it's not, this is the, the actors being on strike raises the visibility so much of the type of striking going on across the country anyway. And it makes everything so much more public, the negotiations so much more public, and therefore it puts a spotlight on the greed of the haves and the executives and the people who are in... You know the owners cl- ownership class in this country that hopefully at least like the the idea that this is just greed for greed's sake on the working people and the union members have is can be killed and quashed in public in a public forum you you, you have to hope that you have to cling to that hope and I, I something i've said for a while and i i do believe this to be true this was a bad time for the studios to to have to deal with this they are just starting to figure out profitability after the pandemic mm-hmm. with these streaming services in particular and say what you want about Zasloff, but you know, HB, HBO max is going to be profitable mm-hmm. relatively soon. Can that still happen? Disney plus they were heading towards profitability. Man, Netflix has been profitable all along, but they've been over leveraged. Wall street has demanded this. And obviously wall street was late to figure out that there were, a, was a cap on subscription numbers. So it's been this, it's been this cluster you-know-what for a while, financially, to the point where there was an obvious bubble. Everybody ignored it. And then when the bubble burst, now you just have all of these studio heads belligerently crying poor when, in fact, they, they could have fixed this. They could have fixed this issue years ago. It's that old you know, Elon Musk saying about Elon Musk where it's like he keeps put so many billion into Twitter. Can you imagine if he took a fourth of that money and just like gave it to homeless people to house them or houseless people to house them? What could have been done? It's, 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 I mean, the detachment from reality is at an all time high. And this is what happens in the type of capitalistic society in which the CEOs benefits far outgrow the working class. 
it, it doesn't make sense to me that everything is shifting towards tentpole, big ticket only content spends, whether it's in theaters or on streaming, when the opposite models, like the Blumhouse model, where you take 10 movies and you give them a million each and you allow them to share in the revenue if your movie hits and and that will develop new talent that will give a lot of jobs a lot of you know worthwhile jobs to a lot of people especially up and comers well as far as that, streaming goes too we're not going to know what hits because they don't release numbers so it's i mean well, but it doesn't make sense to me that those models seem to work just as often and and with with big results from the Blair Witch Project all the way through to the Blumhouse successes. And that's just in the horror realm. I mean, if you talk about like the Hallmark Channel, like the uh, like, they started making these rom-coms, pu- pushing them out cheap one after another, these mm-hmm. Christmas movies, these Christmas specials. It's a cottage industry now. You can have that in so many different areas if you're willing to invest if you're willing to invest in the genres and if you're willing to spread out the the financing i like i don't understand but they don't want they they're doing the opposite of that these big studios they would rather and i'm not going to call them the amtpp i I still can't get it (laughs) because i'm just going to call them the studios but i know that's a misnomer however they're they're not investing in the development programs they would rather have tyler perry you know r us handle that they would rather have steven spielberg's huge sure. company handle that they don't want to do it anymore and it's just it, it, it's really dismaying and i get why because you got these old guys holding out and all they really care about is just being in charge and having all these sexy lavish parties and can like what the hell's going Who's on the here? Podcast it, it really that, is that keeps saying i mean things are different when you don't have that when you're not lauren michaels and snl you're not bob Iger at disney people don't take longer to answer your phone calls and that's the whole problem that's why these old guys keep coming back and keep staying well past their due date and it, it, it is this belligerence it is this it is this villainous mustache twirling behavior at this point and i'm just baffled by it i'm baffled by the fact that they allow the look of it for for people who should have understood the pr problems of being in this business as long as they have they really don't yeah uh, or maybe they do and don't care i mean there is that section to it i mean you know I, you can't escape the fact that guys like zasloff and Iger, they know they have to know that sixty thousand dollars isn't enough to get you by in la anymore in the living conditions and that's you think they're being greedy you have 18 homes well i mean that's that's been the argument forever in labor negotiations do the you know do the rich guys know what a gallon of milk what could a banana cost michael ten dollars um so last time there was the writer strike in 2008 uh, the studios and television studios specifically kind of skirted their way around this by giving rise to all the new reality boom that was that it started in the 2000 era, uh, the year 2000 here on stateside and really kind of blew up uh, during the last writer strike. Obviously, we have that now on the table with actors and writers on strike. I wonder what kind of renovate. What am I? What's the word I'm looking for here? But what kind innovation. of new content innovation? Thank you. Is going to come forth this time around. You know, I've been thinking about this. I I know that YouTubers and TikTokers they could be mined. Their talent could be mined, and a lot of what they do so well on YouTube, especially, can be put on on a Netflix. Like, what YouTuber is going to be 
necessarily upset by having a TV show on Netflix. And yeah, I think. Yeah, but I wonder where the line is for that, because there was also a letter that uh, Fran Drescher and the head, the chief negotiator for uh, SAG put out yesterday saying that anyone who any influencer or anyone who makes a deal basically scabs the picket line uh, will not be welcomed into the union in the future. So if you're, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, Logan Paul's the only name I have in my mind, but if you're some famous YouTuber and Netflix comes to you and offers you all kinds of money for the, for your show, obviously that could be life-changing money for one. Two, do you take it because you want to be an actor or do you not care about being an actor and, like, you just want to look out for yourself? It's going to be an interesting time for any kind of influencer in the future here. I don't know what they're going to do, but I know there's so many of them that yeah. there's probably going to be a cross-section of people who do scab and who don't scab. So that that would be my obvious guess. However, yeah, reality TV could could keep going. And this is also alarming because so many people on these productions are losing work and they're going to be desperate. They keep mentioning IATSE. As many people as I watch talk about this, keeps talking about how IATSE might be next in the crosshairs of this kind of thing, too, and how IATSE is going to be affected by this. And how IATSE has got to be watching for the changes in the contracts when they come and all that. Well, that's that. That's what uh, a lot of prognosticators are mentioning, that uh, these two deals are, are going to affect the next uh, big labor discussion. And this industry may be ground to a halt again. And it couldn't come at a worse time. Like I said, this this industry's trying to recover from the COVID pandemic. They're flooding the market in many ways with content. And <laughs> it doesn't seem like they're saving for a rainy day. It mm. seems like they're just trying to get their margins and get them now, and all of a sudden we have stoppage. Imagine like, how much more stopping. breathing room they'd have if each CEO gave back, I don't know, $1 billion for breathing room, for margins, yeah. you know? But, I mean, but, I mean we, we, we have Deadpool 3 stopping right now. Everything's going to stop. It's going to grind to a halt. Nothing's going to go Mission forward. Mission Impossible 8 stopped. Yeah. The uh, the Oppenheimer d- uh, premiere, one of them, I don't remember what city it was in, might have been L.A., but Emily Blunt and Killian Murphy both walked out. So that's uh, coming to a transition point for us. But uh, let me ask you a question right now. Do you think a theory uh, uh, on why the studios agreed to the delay has anything to do with the fact that they wanted the Barbenheimer promotions to take place and they did not want to have those tent poles affected by all the stars not walking the red carpets and not pushing those movies did everybody agree to like a ceasefire in that regard because they wanted i mean i guess mission impossible still would have had its premiere that, that would have been close i don't remember but those three movies back to back to back they've been premiering and we're about to go over the barbie and oppenheimer first reactions but there is a theory this morning from that a lot of people believe screen talk yeah. about that I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of people saying that, and I think Fran Drescher, if I can remember right, I don't have it written down, but kind of hinted at that as well. But yeah, I mean, sure, this the studios might have pulled one over on SAG here. I think it worked both ways. I think SAG. I mean, you remember last episode we talked about this, where uh, Matt Bellamy was talking about how SAG kind of wanted to delay themselves because they wanted to get as much press coverage as they could after the July Fourth weekend. They were worried that you know this would fall on a Friday originally if they were strike at July first and blah 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 blah. So I think it benefited both parties in that respect. So I, I think it's you can't say that it only helped the studios, but yeah, there's definitely probably a reason the studios were amenable to extending that deadline as well. Because I think you've mentioned it already, but the studio heads didn't engage. Yeah. The, 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 
the studio. That's what they said. I mean, that's that's from Fran Drescher's mouth. Yeah. So if you're not really engaging during the extension of negotiations, then why? Then there has to be a nefarious reason. I mean, unless leave being so detached from reality that you actually go to a trade journalist and say, yeah, we're going to wait until people start losing their homes. No, it's disgusting. How gross is that for a quote in Hollywood, in the industry you're in? Get over yourself. It it seems like these negotiations are very far apart. Mm -hmm. And And it seems like... Yes, they're they're trying to figure out how to split the pie, which we knew was going to be a huge argument. We knew that was coming. Every yeah, time, but they're not even in the same bakery right now. Right. But even worse than that, there's the technological advances like AI and studios are just whether it, it's a negotiation tactic and it's posturing, and I'm sure it is to an extent by both sides. But there's clearly a looming threat to to a lot of you know workers. And future jobs. And, and this is exactly why. I mean, I know there's people out there who are against actors and writers. Again, I don't understand the mindset. All you have to do is kind of look at the objective facts here. Well, I it's mean, politics. That's why. But this is exactly why one side of the aisle wants to crush unions and the other doesn't. Like, if yeah. there's no union, <laughs> the actors are screwed. Working actors are, are totally effed. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Uh, you don't have to sell me on it. I agree. I, I, I jokingly uh, said we should be bond company stooges in a text message to you, and you uh, immediately stopped joking. No. I think you no. never joke again in, on a never. text message thread with me. I will not uh, ever be joking about siding with the bourgeoisie. <laughs> the only time I'll even say that word is either now or in a Madonna song. <laughs> Very good. Uh, all right. <laughs> Let's uh, let's jump into. Didn't some think you first were getting a quote from music from 2001 in this episode, did you? But you yeah. did. Well, we're not we're not done with uh, 2001 quotes, and we're not done with uh, <laughs> talking about this strike. But uh, let's break for some Oppenheimer first reactions, Michael. They did have their world premiere uh, in Paris, WB, uh, on Monday, and we got some rave reviews for Christopher Nolan's latest. So Oppenheimer's going to be decent. Shocking, I know, but Jazz Tanke, our buddy over there at Variety, I've seen Oppenheimer, and it is epic in every sense of the word, and that third act has some of the best scenes. The sound design blew me away, easily Nolan's all-time top five films, but inject Ludwig Göransson into me, Oscar nom incoming, delivering his best score to date. Heavy praise for uh, Ludwig Göransson, who is worthy of praise throughout his career. And you know how I know she's an artisan's expert? The Didn't sound design. about the plot? Well, the sound design and the score. Yeah. That's on tweet one. Yep. Jazz yeah. is all over that. We, we're we not on her level but for that no. reason alone. We, we are. She's anyway. got ears and we don't. Elsa Keslasi of Variety. She also had a funny uh, anecdote here. A sign that French audiences loved Oppenheimer is that they stayed in front of the Grand Rex Theater long after the film ended to debate about it. Oh, nice. I like that. All right. We'll go to Gregory Elwood from the playlist. I was skeptical, but Oppenheimer has stuck with me since seeing it last week. Yes, it's three hours, but in a dense Scorsese way in the last 20 minutes, parentheses why Emily Blunt clearly took the role, bring its three narrative threads to a moving conclusion. I'm excited that there are three narrative threads here, and it's not just the one uh, ominous one, the scariest one. The bomb, the sex. What do you think the third one is? 
Because <laughs> we know we're getting full frontal nudity in this. That was a big deal last week. The bomb and the sex and the... Uh, sex on the bomb. I think uh, I think I want to know why uh, Einstein is there, is what I want to oh, know. Oh, just hanging out by a lake. I like that, yeah. Einstein is just there by the lake, and he's not engaging in the rest mm-hmm. of it. I, anyway, all right. And, and look, at, no, the, the, look, we all know the third plot line is Matt Damon's selling out to <laughs> expo dumps like the world has never seen. It is the most important thing in the history of the world. Mm. Mm, we, probably we now true. know that. Yeah, it's true. According to Ben Affleck, it is anyway. <laughs> Matt Neglia, next best picture. I need to specifically shout out the strong Oscar-worthy supporting turns from Robert Downey Jr. and Emily Blunt. Breathtaking cinematography, thunderous sound, intricate editing, and magnificent score. This is an across-the-board awards contender. So that's thoroughly exciting for us, Michael. Yeah, and part of the reason we led with the strike story is because the tentacles affect all all aspects of this movie industry because Oppenheimer had its debut and it was supposed to have its premiere in New York City, a red carpet premiere, and that got canceled due to the strike. As Total many bummer. other FYC events will, and as many film festivals might as, as well, we'll yeah, talk about. that's coming for sure. Let's uh, let's get into some Barbie first reactions, though, because th- this, this premiere was a little more pure and purely mm. happy, I would say, in the sense that this came... Less explosions. Right, but this came before the... Uh, that's Before the, too, yeah. the strike news, uh, yeah, and the Oppenheimer. Well, again, I will say that film Twitter, those of you who are still on Twitter, are doing a bang-up <laughs> job with all your puns and all your, oh, it's, you're doing a beautiful job with all the Barmenheimer stuff. But go ahead, Michael, first Barbie Joseph, reactions. Joseph Decklemeyer of Screen Rant. Barbie caught me off guard, and I mean that in the best way possible. It's funny, bombastic, and very smart. Greta Gerwig aims for the fences and hits a home run. Margot Robbie's performance is great, and Ryan Gosling and Simi Liu are pure entertainment. The whole cast is brilliant. Roxy Streer of Screen Junkies. She says, just went to the Barbie premiere, fave movie of the year. I can't believe how high my expectations were and how this Barbie went leaps and bounds beyond them. I belly laughed. I melted. Greta made a masterpiece, and I legit think it should be nominated for an Oscar. I uh, probably will be, would be our guess here for at least a couple categories. Perry Nemiroff of Collider. I have seen Barbie. The craftsmanship is incredible. In particular, the costume and production design includes next level work that heavily contributes to creating the feeling that these truly are Barbies. Their dream houses and their worlds come to life. As for the story, that's where I'm a bit more mixed. I think the film serves Margot Robbie's Barbie and her journey especially well, but there are other characters experiencing important arcs that need more screen time to really dig into and explore to the full. All right, so you do get a little yeah. bit uh, of color there on some detractions, I love perhaps. Perry. She's always great. Perry's a real one, that's for yeah. sure. So, Barbie released this Just Ken song promo trailer, and she, Perry Nemiroff mentioned it in her, you know, the beginnings of her review there. Like, we have costume, production design, makeup, and hair. We have at least those three Oscar nominations that look like the most obvious things in the world to you and I, just based on that musical number, the highlights of that Just Ken musical number alone, Michael. I'm watching this and I'm like, this is this movie's got a floor. Barbie's got a floor of probably three Oscar nominations, no? Are we heading towards a world in which Ryan Gosling gets nominated for Barbie and Margot Robbie doesn't? Yeah, that's like be, I see so much stuff about Ken in this. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. That's the the short answer to my question is I don't know. I don't know how supporting actors going to stack up this year. My guess is supporting actors going to be very competitive, and it's going to be hard on Ryan Gosling to get in. But I I think this this movie is clearly such a crafts player. There's no doubt there. I co- totally co-sign and under underscore everything you said. And Greta Gerwig, I think, I, well, I don't know. I said the same about Denis Villeneuve for Dune. So what the hell shows what I know? But, I mean, if the crafts are that magnificent and Greta mm-hmm. Gerwig is the one in charge of all that, she should, by riding that momentum, be talked about in director alone. But she and Noah Baumbach co-writing the score, husband and, or co-writing the screenplay, excuse me, uh, is another fun story uh, in terms of uh, Oscar narratives. So if they're co-screenwriting nominees that's that's awesome in, in, in a big way uh, so i could see the academy going for them in that regard at the at the very least so i'm looking at if, the, if this does work barbie barbie's gonna have a load of nominations mm-hmm. the, this is truly an oscars profile and a pair of them coming from us uh over this next uh week and a half or so michael so where that's might exciting. it play though we don't know <laughs> Yeah, have you bought any of your tickets yet? I, I have. I'm doing my double feature on Sunday with my brother. We are trying to figure out the lunch spot, but, but you and I got to see Barbie probably a couple times for the end of the week. So I'm seeing Barbie Wednesday. So you and I probably got to see it Wednesday or Thursday, and then we'll review it like Friday. And then Oppenheimer, we probably got to attack that weekend, and I'll uh, I'll have like double feature. You know, a feedback for you guys, kind of in our in our Oppenheimer Oppenheimer episode. Good God, uh, to follow the Barbie, but Barbie comes out first, so that's what we were going to review first. But who knows? The world, the sky is falling in this mm-hmm. world. We, we never know. Uh, but mm-hmm. but yeah, to an- to 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 answer my question, do, do you have any plans yet? You no, apply? I I don't. Other than getting a deep fake tan and and plastering my hair back because I have brown hair. <laughs> Well, this is why we work. You, you think about the important stuff. No, I think you, you think about certain things. Most some people are are method actors. I'm a method podcaster. Yeah, and I'm just like I need I need to written down. I need my tickets booked. I need to show up at X amount of time. Like I'm I'm even planning. To, you know, my brother and I we're we're planning where we're going to eat in between, and it's got to be the right meal because we're gonna we're gonna need some comfort food after Oppenheimer, right? sure i don't i mean where what are your options here what are you thinking about eating i don't know I like burritos i mean do we go greasy spoon do we do like uh i don't know do we do something lighter do we just what go city like are salads? you seeing these movies in or t-rumble uh, so like we shoot get, up to fairfield like we're thinking pizza maybe like the sally's just, pizza just, just open just in fairfield get, just get the chicken strips at the movie theater <laughs> <laughs> that's what i deserve <laughs> that's what i am and that's what i deserve no we're gonna make a day of it it's it's good i, I mean all my i don't A-list think i can discounts. do the double feature i, I don't oh. think i could like I, I will be asleep yeah but uh, like it's not like a it's not even a strain on the wallet if you do like an early screening that's you get like all kinds of discounts on the matinee i get one ticket for free i have like Extra, like I think I spent twenty five bucks for the two of us, and I'm buying three tickets for that day. That's how good a list is, people. I'm not talking to you because I know you'll never get it. <laughs> go after yourself. But all right, uh, we got some awards news here, kind of a smattering of stories before we head into the trailers. Uh, and yes, we we gotta hit on the strike once again because uh, Clayton Davis, amongst others, put out 
a couple of pieces on how the strike could affect these fall film festivals. And this is the quote that opened up Clayton's article. <laughs> quote, fall festivals are fucked. That was good. <laughs> That That came from a studio executive, and it led Clayton's piece on Variety. Do go and read that. But the gist of it seems to be the major concern right now for everybody is how well are these festivals going to do? Can they even stay on their dates if actors and writers cannot attend by rule? Talking about how this is a bad time for the strike to happen for the studios, it's a terrible time for the film festivals. Terrible. Coming right out of COVID where they had to shut everything down and they had to take such a big loss of revenue in there because nobody can come for at least one, sometimes maybe two years. And their save, yeah, their save the ass pivot was to put it online, mm. which is the opposite of where the industry's going right now. So it's not like they're going to pivot again to a virtual festival, are they? Yeah. Uh, well, I, no, because why would you show these movies? I mean, the way the article reads and the way you hear festival people talking about this and they all have backup dates even the emmys have like a backup date that they may move to because they're not sure what's going on with the strike and maybe they'll go forward with it but it sounds like the emmy nominations at least are going to stay the same and blah 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 but the way you hear people talk about it is that it's not worth having if the stars aren't there so they can't rely just on the strength of the movies themselves they can't rely just on the directors showing up the the stars need to be involved which to me, I, like, I get it as far as the Q&A stuff goes, but at the same time, aren't the movies the selling points anyway? I'll be honest with you. They are for me. Like, I'm still going to go to New York Film Festival for my couple of weeks there, regardless, I would say, if they have it. Mm. Uh, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about the opener that we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, however, I think for good reason, because you could just kind of wait on these movies a couple of weeks in some instances, for good reason, people want the experience of, and Scott Yeager and I talked about it with Tribeca. They want to be pressing the flesh of the stars in the room. And, you know, we made jokes about that, but in our Tribeca Mania shows, but they, they want to go and they want to be five feet from the cast and crew. They want to be, you know, at the bar after the movie with uh, the the cast and crew of uh, of a big Hollywood premiere. They, they want to be right across from the red carpet, uh, picture, photo op, and 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 hang over a certain paparazzi guy's shoulder, and there he have even... been so many people on TikTok mm-hmm. who have been saying that, like these studio executives care so much more about being friends with these stars than they do their own family members. Like Michael Jammon, who I've talked to, I've talked about a couple times on here. He's a writer in Hollywood. He said that uh, somebody else I can't remember the name. Like, there's only two currencies in this world right now. One is one is money, and the other is fame. It's like. It's 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 sickening that this is so you only have these film festivals because stars could be close and you want to be close mm-hmm. to stars. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a Paul. I'm a I'm appalled. <laughs> I, I think uh, I, I think people who uh, like they're just people. They're literally doing their jobs. <laughs> I think people who have the nerve to hang over and, and lean over a guy with a professional camera with his phone and take pictures of Israel Adesanya and his whole family. How dare I do that? How, <laughs> how, well, why would I just lo- linger? I'm a lingerer. I don't know. <laughs> but when, you, when you're there, it's, it, it really is intoxicating to be that close sure. to all the action. Yeah, and and Scott and I talked about it in our Tribeca shows. It, it, it's fun. It's part of the fun. And when you spend, you know, the train ticket, the train ticket and the, 
the 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 inflated price for the overall ticket package and you're probably spending like 30 35 bucks a movie and whatnot that's the draw uh, for 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 a lot of people i mean otherwise you can maybe wait and watch this movie two weeks later you can or even if you're waiting a couple of months later like we're we're, I'm, i'm about to mention uh ferrari right now just sold to neon it's supposed to be venice bound but now we know it's going to release christmas day of this year and uh stx will remain the international distributor but i don't know what's the appetite for italians to see ferrari at the end of august early september or just wait for christmas i don't i don't know what do you think drives more people to the studio uh, to the theaters right now not film festivals necessarily but do you think it's stars or do you think it's word of mouth slash advertising and yes i know that gets murky because you're advertising the stars so but i'm just curious like do you think previews and positive word of mouth bring more people to the theaters or do you think it's adam driver is going to be in this movie and i want i like adam driver that's that's a great question i i think for a younger generation it's more of the marketing and for and maybe for somebody like you it's more of the marketing you want the clever marketing rather Mm -hmm. than you know, you you, you 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 don't like people whose uh, whose stardom is greater than your own, and I think you <laughs> eschew them as much as like you're honest about this. I think uh, I like all <laughs> famous people I, I despise. Yes, <laughs> that's why we're not an interview show. It's not no, true. Of course, that's, that's a blatant true. falsehood. I, I am afraid of them. Is why we're not an interview show. But we're not an interview show. That's not our bag. <laughs> I dislike anyone with any notoriety. That you set you set me up for that. How if I said though the movie stars, you would have been like, no, the 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 directors of the star. You've had all these theories, like one. Well, there is there is a movie star problem. I I wholeheartedly believe that. But and and I think the you're you're looking at a younger generation flocking to smile and flocking to Megan because of all the. Obviously, the, 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 the marketing of those movies, yeah. the viral marketing. So help me if any of those people doing the viral marketing get any kind of Instagram following. I will never speak of them. <laughs> uh, we'll move on right now to the uh, New York Film Festival announcing their opening night movie. And I'm excited about this one because it's May-December, which yeah. had a lot of buzz at Cannes. Todd Haynes, writing, writing and directing, or co-writing and directing, Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore star. The plot premise reads, 20 years after a notorious tabloid romance gripped the nation, a married couple buckles under the pressure when an actress arrives to do research for a film about their past. I think this is a, an inspired choice because it's it's an Oscars player number one, which is always fun for us when New York Film Festival opens with an Oscars player. But Can went gaga over this movie, and there's like this big mirror scene with Natalie Portman, and holy shit, we're, we're we got a buzzworthy title that could really open up this festival. And I think back to the last few openers, Michael, White Noise and Tragedy of Macbeth, and those are good movies. And Tragedy of Macbeth was a big Oscars player two mm-hmm. two years ago. But can you imagine if Titan opened up that festival? Like New York would have been at a fever pitch, and when one Titan people would have just been having sex in the street, sex in the street, <laughs> right outside Alice Tully Hall, and then Tar Tar was the big 
big premiere moment that I remember from last year's festival. And I loved all the buzz coming out of the theater that night and all the buzz on film Twitter and New York is big enough. And there's enough of the media of a media presence and there's enough, uh, enough of a film Twitter presence just to have a big reception and some resonating uh, 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 buzz just by being a North American premiere in New York in particular. So I don't even think New York Film Festival needs world premieres and they're not seeking world premieres like we saw with White Noise. So when you have an Irishman or The Favorite open up New York Film Festival, you're cooking. And yeah, we got May, December, which could be a really hot title, I would say. Yeah, I wonder uh, how much, considering the strike went into Picnus, this seems like a New York Film Festival type of movie, though, like a walkie-talkie type thing where there's the, all the drama comes from interpersonal relationships more so than some outside force or some, you know, larger-than-life happening around you, though I guess white noise is kind of the counter to that, but nonetheless. Yeah, I- walkie-talkie, too much tuna. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't know where you're going. But no, walkie-talkie, white, but mirrors. So Oscars, <laughs> mirrors, and actors. Yeah, exactly. I, and then I, there's, yeah, there's a memorable scenes with mirrors and actors. Has has have we gotten a lot of Oscar uh, rub for May December yet? I, I know we've talked about it a bunch. I felt like the reception of May December was really, it was notable to me after Cannes. It was notable, and now I'm watching a lot of these performance categories open up. Right, mm-hmm. we're we're not. We're not writing anybody's name in pen yet. Now, may, that may change after next week with right. Cillian Murphy and Robert Downey Jr. and Emily Blunt and and uh, Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. Yeah, yeah, that might change by, by the end of next week. But right now, I'm looking at open categories. Right. So right. we'll have to wait and see. But uh, we'll continue with another Palme d'Or winning films announcement here. Anatomy of a Fall that just took the palm at this year's like may december seems more like a new york film festival opener than anatomy of a fall does to me does that make sense that's fine that's fine last year's to 10 was a bigger or two years ago's to 10 was a bigger name shocker right i mean that was that had the film twitter just just giddy with uh sexual arousal Mm. anyway Anatomy and of Elon a Fall Musk ruined it for all of us. <laughs> Anatomy of a Fall is as intriguing uh, a, a trailer as we're going to review in a while, but they're going to release on October 13th in New York and L.A. Neon is behind it. I know you've had a lot of confidence in what Neon does uh, to, for your sins over the years, mm-hmm. and uh, this is exciting. And I hope Anatomy of a Fall plays New York Film Festival. I would go see it there, even with tell you, you know a couple weeks. I'll tell you this much. God and man alike is my witnesses. That guy, he he falls in this movie. He does fall. <laughs> and I need to know how who pushed him or if he just fell. And I may need to know that on October October 6th at the New York Film Festival before its premiere on October 13th. So I hope you come. But all right, we watched this trailer and we previewed this movie for Cannes and we reviewed its Palme d'Or win. Sandra Huller is the star and the... I would say the Oscar buzzworthy performance here, but we don't necessarily see that in this trailer. This is more of a showcase for the story. I thought it was a weird trailer, but it also is heavily reminiscent of an international film. So it, you, we don't get the, the, 
glossied up type of uh, trailers that we do for like you know something some kind of major blockbuster here. But this seems like a much smaller movie that that yeah, it's it's Hulaire dependent and it takes place splitting its time between being in court for the trial of I guess the woman being accused of maybe pushing her husband and causing his death versus what actually happened. And we see a lot of it through the child's the, their child's perspective. Right, and the child is blind, so the child is commenting on what he's hearing, and he's getting confused uh, at times. And in the trailer, at least the the penultimate moment of the trailer, he's talking about how he confused his mother and father. Uh, so I would. And he's click- being handled. Host- the hostility coming from the attorney questioning him too is. Oh yeah, ter- know, terrifying. Coming off the screen. Were you ever that hostile in a courtroom? I plan on being again. <laughs> Very good. Uh, you got to do you got to do your job. But I mean, from a mystery lover's perspective, I, I would click play on this right now. I was totally hooked by the story here. I like the piano through this too. You get this simple piano score, and then you realize it's the the child actually playing the piano halfway through the trailer, as if he's doing either a lesson or it's just using mm. it as escapism to get away from his family's fighting, his parents fighting. There, that made it little stuff like that always makes it seem more real to me. How much more? real would it get is if if his name God, mm. i can't even speak if his name is like he if he's baby desplat <laughs> alexandra desplat the third baby desplat is a great name just for a band for I've, a human <laughs> i have no idea what this kid's name is but uh, that was a ridiculous joke look at uh, this is a palm door winning combo of bad sisters and jury duty two recent binges <laughs> tv emmy prep binges i have had so i am thrilled with this trailer and yeah i i hope yeah maybe it's a new york film festival centerpiece not that i can comment on another country's political justice system because you don't get any kind of feel from it from a minute and a half long trailer anyway but am i to believe as is suggested in this trailer that in a french court you can just speak whatever language you want at any time without an interpreter present like the judge the attorney can ask you a question in french and you can respond in english and the idea of the french court is just assume everybody can keep up with every what everyone's saying at all times i think all the french uh the all our all our five french listeners French-speaking listeners out there, they're all bilingual, and they probably uh, well, don't see That's what the suggestion is in and this they're trailer. Just, they're just, you know, spitting and cursing <laughs> on the ground right now. Well, I'm sorry you. for that, for offending you, but I also like this trailer much more than the next two, so Good. take that no, as a we, present. We did like that trailer. All right, yeah. so the next next one we'll cover here, of course, is Wonka. This was trailer one. Wonka will be released on the 15th of December, co-written and directed by Paul King, written by, uh, written by Simon Farnaby, both of which reunite much of the team from Paddington's 1 and 2. Michael, That's a good thing. I am somehow more worried and also less worried after watching this Wonka trailer. I don't know how that is, but it's true. Because clearly the production values are top-notch. I'm enjoying several jokes. Uh, You're going to get into them. And yet, Timothy Chalamet's coke-addled line delivery and the (laughs) cockamamie nonsense story make me just want to skip it and and WTF this. I I don't know. Like, I'm I'm so up and down on this Wonka trailer. The first lines that Chalamet speaks are quiet up and listen down you know, scratch that and reverse it and i was just oh no 
That is not. He's up against the chocolate cartel. <laughs> what are we doing here, people? I'll forgive the bullshit if it's funny. However, I don't know. I mean, Keegan Michael Key's giving me some hope. Yeah, but... I like that. I, I'm pretty sure I gained 150 pounds in the past two weeks, as if he's following <laughs> the MMO diet handbook there. I, I don't know. Man. Like this, to me, I was expecting something more for adults because, you know, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory was basically an adult movie, or was it Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? I can't remember. And then Johnny Depp came along, and it kind of flirted with being a, 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 an awards movie. This one seems strictly for kids. It does seem for kids, and, and maybe we'll forgive it in that regard, and it'll be more like Paddington 1 than Paddington 2. But it was jarring to watch Chalamet's performance here. This was staged in, in, in this bizarre tone of voice where yeah. I'm hoping is blended into the movie better than it's blended into the trailer. And, and Timothy's got a great track record with us. He's been fantastic in everything he's done. Like, I've never yes. watched Timothy Chalamet performance, and I'm like... God, that doesn't feel lived in, or that doesn't feel authentic. And he's, yeah, I mean, he he just acted as a cannibal and, you know, road tripping the the American frontier. And I bought every second of it as <laughs> <It's> authentic. <laughs> so maybe, maybe I'm underestimating him in this regard. And maybe the fact that this is going to be a big musical, or at least there's going to be a couple big musical numbers here, maybe that big Broadway voice and delivery and that theatrical delivery. Maybe it works. Did you buy Hugh Grant as the Oompa Loompa? Uh, well, he's kind of funny at the beginning. Sure. Of and then he's twerking or it, it took literally two hours before this, when this trailer came out for somebody to put Trump's face on yeah. that Oompa Loompa body on TikTok. Yeah, that was coming. Yeah. Once they went back to orange. Uh, why do they? Why is it so hard to get Oompa Loompas correct? Uh, because it was offensive. Uh, is in, that in why? Its inception, right? Because this isn't even like this is a. You can't. These Oompa Loompas would be, would be terrible chocolate factory workers. If mm. Hugh Grant is going to be the head, that he's not even a foot tall. He's like Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I just. Uh, We'll have to see how it plays out. I, I'm worried about the CGI. The CGI didn't look great in this trailer. I, I, keep, I get a lot of anxiety about floating away into the air, and that, that this movie didn't help in that <laughs> regard for me either. Night. Yeah. Don't you? Don't you? Like, isn't a hot air balloon like your greatest nightmare? I mean, it's mine. That Yes, being in a hot air balloon, I, I have no time for. I agree with that. The idea that I'm just going to spontaneously float away does not bother me, though. I'm pretty okay. well secured on the ground. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I'm up and I'm very up and down on this trailer. You seem to be a li little bit more down, and uh, yeah, we'll stick to I, our guns. I, yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I was not crazy about this. I I don't like the Hugh Grant of it all. I don't like the Oompa Loompa. I don't like that this story is about the first Oompa Loompas being caught. That's weird to me. Why focus on that? And maybe they aren't. Maybe that was just a somebody being wrong the first time we were previewing this movie all those months ago. I don't know. This is. Ugh. All right, we'll move on to a trailer that we liked a bit more, I think. Napoleon, we have directed by Ridley Scott, starring Joaquin Phoenix and Vanessa Kirby. Napoleon is set, we think, for November 22nd of this year. Apple TV Plus produced it. Columbia Pictures of Sony are 
the distributors for Apple. So that Apple's going with Paramount to distribute Killers of the Flower Moon. They're going with Sony to distribute Napoleon here. And <laughs> this was a massive, epic first trailer. Yeah, it was. Why does this feel so much different than other recent Ridley Scott first trailers? I can't yeah, figure out why from it for me. I, I think his stories have been, I don't want to say smaller in scope, but they've been, they haven't been as historic, right? I mean, this is since Gladiator. Yeah, well, was, yeah, he certainly hasn't taken on a giant war movie. Historical epic like this in a, right. quite some time. I'm surprised Hollywood hasn't taken on this particular historical war epic. And maybe it's because of the costs. But uh, CinemaCon came out and they were abuzz with how awesome this movie looked. And I was skeptical. And I I should not have been skeptical after Gladiator to Black Hawk Down. And yeah, I mean, Ridley Scott is old and he's my hero. 85 years old, still at the helm of something this monstrous. And we're going to get... Uh, a, a big focus on the relationship at the center of this movie in between those six epic battle scenes that we talked about are in this movie uh, previously. we got full frontal nudity in Oppenheimer. We're going to get some sex scenes in Napoleon. A lot of carnal consummation amongst the biggest dramas this year. Yeah, yeah. We're getting all the goods. Yeah. All the bits. <laughs> <laughs> <It's so creepy. laughs> Production design, costume oh, yeah. design, hair oh, and makeup. Oh, yeah cinematography those immediately seem like possibilities to me just watching this trailer yeah absolutely we said product we look in our 100 percent accurate predictions which are going to get less accurate as we go folks you mm-hmm. guys know this we will update update or update those predictions in august and we'll probably be 75 percent accurate uh so go back and listen to how much napoleon love we gave back when i think mm. that's that's going to happen it's sure looking so I mean, some of these movies will underperform and and some of these movies won't hit at all. And then the coattails kind of get severed. We've seen that happen before, too. You can have a big, beautiful movie, not get as much love down the card because it just doesn't work. I don't know. This one looks looks like an Oscars duck. And making Joaquin look short, which I was on the lookout for. Seemed like they use a lot of force perspective type stuff. I He's my height. He's five foot seven. That's Napoleon not that or Joaquin? short. I mean, I'm short. I realize I'm short, but I'm not that short. I want to know how badly you're rationalizing. Are you talking about Napoleon or Joaquin Phoenix? We well, Napo- how tall was Napoleon? I thought can he we... was like five three. Okay, and can we believe he was five three, or was he like four nine? Because everybody, because if he... oh five six says uh, says Wikipedia. All right. Napoleon complexes happen at five six. I'm Inter- like interpretations of Napoleon's death certificate estimate his height when he died was between five two and five seven. That's from the Encyclopedia Britannica. There's a big difference between five two and five seven. <laughs> I'll have you know. Not to us. Not to us men <laughs> up here in the six foot range. <laughs> I am. I am offended right now, but. Uh, here's another question, because people on film Twitter, like our buddy Colby Mack, etc., they've, they've commented on the lack of French accents here. And this is perhaps the stretching of a principle we have seen since time immemorial. Like Tower of Babel, if you put a Union Jack on it for us American fools, we think it's authentic. From Gladiator, Ridley Scott's Gladiator, they... The, Maximus and Commodus should be speaking Latin there, folks. Yeah. 
Yeah, it depends on where you want to draw the line. But we don't care because we we don't care because it sounds. I'll tell you what, Adam Driver shouldn't have been speaking Italian in Ridley Scott's last film or two films ago. So, exactly. So we don't give and take. Well, that's the thing. What what's more authentic sounding, a, a real thick British accent, or everybody putting on a French accent? Lady and, Gaga's orgasm in House of Gucci. Yeah. All right. I'll agree. I'll agree with you. <laughs> Just to get this thing moving. Bob Marley, One Love. This was the first. Oh, I did not like this teaser. Directed by Ronaldo Marcus Green of King Richard, written by his King Richard scribe Zach Balin, also Boardwalk Empire's Terrence Winter, and Frank Ewan Flowers Jr. of Swallow. Great team behind it. Yeah. I mean, the the premise isn't... I wish they gave a better premise to look at the life of legendary reggae musician Bob Marley. The release date's bizarre for this. Very. January 12th of 2023. I've seen a lot of Oscar pundits have have uh, these actors Banks Kingsley uh not Ben Kingsley oh my god King- Kingsley Ben Adiers uh that would be a totally different Bob Marley movie Bang, ben I was going to say Ben Kingsley Juniors <laughs> a de-aged Ben Kingsley <laughs> anyway we have we have a de-aged Ben Kingsley atop of a lot of people's Oscars uh is that why he looked list. more like Jay Cole to me than he did Bob Marley cuz it was ben, I, it, this didn't look like Bob Marley to me yeah, Kingsley Benadir, Kingsley Benadir did not grow his hair out. That looked like a wig. Could be. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I'm a white guy, so what the <laughs> hell do <laughs> I you, know? What do you know about Trevor? But it looks like a gosh darn wig. Right. Gosh Maybe it was. darn it. Maybe it was. Uh, look, I, I thought the stakes were heightened in this trailer. They did a nice job of that. I thought the uh, cinematography was awesome here. The lighting in particular. You have so many fires and fireworks and concerts on display. I mean, there's there's war footage involved here. You know, oh, my God. I thought the look of this trailer was excellent. The I love editing the sound is solid. Yeah, I mean, the, the music is great. However... Great. I thought the tempo of the different songs it was kind of um, it kind of made for a few awkward transitions. The performances looked good. I mean, they're they're not you showcasing. Like this. Nah, I just look. It, I I did not I did not like this trailer all that much because I, I I get irksome when you can't have the thing flow. This trailer did not flow very well. Why we, why are they showing us this now if it's coming out in twenty twenty four? That was something that was repeating in my mind, too. Well, my my guess was that they were thinking about if it got all the buzz, maybe they do a qualifying run Christmas Day, New York and L.A. Okay. It could be. But Because all you need is to do that, and then the wide release is qualifying on January 12th, because we know that. But then why would you say it's coming next year? Like, is, if that's your, I guess maybe it's a test balloon. They wanted to see the reaction for it. Yeah. All right. I was not impressed. I just struck a cynical chord for me because, like, every dorm room Bob Marley poster moment is in slow mo here. Mm. You can see them trying to recreate those posters, like, and that's like that. I seen that up on my wall with the real with the real McCoy. You know, what do you want to see more between this and the Wonka movie, based on these trailers alone? I'm not thrilled for either. I would see this, but yeah, me too, probably. I don't know. I I was surprised that they're actually going to go with Wonka 
right off the heels of Dune 2. WB? Why not? He's not playing anywhere near the same character. <laughs> Fine. I'm just saying there's a lot people of may, Timothy. You might be able to fool some people into thinking it's a totally different actor with those two characters. <laughs> it was a lot of Timothy Chalamet in a short amount of time. <laughs> One's Luke Skywalker and the other's from the set of Cats. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is the... The fear, right? I don't think the Paddington guys would make cats, but then again, I don't either. I would the King's Speech guy make cats? Would, yeah, yeah that's, that's exactly what I was going to say. I wouldn't have thought that would happen either. But oh my god, yeah, uh, rough, rough couple of trailers there for me. I don't know, not not some of my favorite. Well, we we managed an Oscar race checkpoint after all in this episode. Uh, it's uh, a lot of news, a lot of news going on though. Support your unions. Go, uh, go donate to. Uh, the uh, the Writers Guild Fund to help struggling writers who are making no money throughout this uh, yeah this strike here. Words of wisdom today: We support SAG-AFTRA and the yeah. WGA, and uh, we are not in favor of Ebenezer Scrooges. And <laughs> get a grip, everyone! Every studio executive, <laughs> like go to your local Whole Foods or your local grocery store and just walk around, touch a little be- grass. It's got to be posturing and heel turns, hasn't it? No, it's not. We, we, we established this earlier. These people are just that detached, man. I think there's, I don't know, a lot to be said about where we are right now as a nation with this kind of stuff going on. But uh, yeah. we will keep our eyes on it as always. And what matters most to us as always as well, dear listeners, what you think of these stories and more. You can, as always, tell us that as well as any other thoughts, thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns you have about anything else we do here in the MMO Empire on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar. Uh, uh, at mm and oscar i'm getting tongue-tied at the very end at mm and oscar on twitter mike mike and oscar at gmail.com.com and on reddit we are available wherever you do hear podcasts and if you listen to us on either the apple podcast or spotify app if you appreciate what we do here if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review those help us out immensely thank you to everyone who has done so thus far for us uh michael tell the good people what's coming next and let's have some words of wisdom to end on yeah, I mentioned the words of wisdom a second yeah, ago, uh, but uh, we both agree on those. I'll say it again. Support sag after in the WGA. Uh, we're, what's coming next for us is, I would say, a partially qualified <laughs> Emmy nomination You're reaction. You're tooting your show. own horn an awful lot here. Yeah, it, it, I spent a lot, a lot of time binging TV shows over the last month. Number one, The Bear, The White Lotus, Bad Sisters, and Jury Duty. That's just my recent four Otherwise, I've been I've been keeping up this year. I've been doing the job of a of a, a wannabe Oscar, uh, Emmys pundit. But more than that, where I really threw down was all the research I did for this Emmy nominations Google yeah, document. You did. And I kind of bumped you off too because that was supposed to be today's show, and I was like, we got to talk about the strike. <laughs> of course we did. It was, it was clear-headed, clear eye eyesight from you. Yeah. However. Like, I think we got a good show coming up. I mean, I'm going to throw stuff down. I I don't know if it's going to make sense. I mean, we're not going to do the crazy stats that we usually would do for an Oscars show, but we're going to try to make some sense of those Emmy nominations. And I think we can actually speak, you know, to to some shows that we've seen. Between the two of us, we've probably seen the vast majority of primetime Emmy-nominated shows. I will be predicting succession for all categories, including the comedy ones. There you go. <laughs> but uh, uh, look, I, I would say finishing the bear. I, I there was more comedy in the bear than I expected. Yes, I I I, uh, I 
I thought uh, Succession was funnier uh, than than I expected as well, even though that's a drama. So I mean, yeah, maybe the Emmys are now the the Golden Globe categories. They're just all a amish amash. How is best episode not an Emmys category? I tweeted about this like last week, I think. Episode well, of the year should be an Emmys category. Em- episode of the year should be an Emmys category. That's an easy one. So easy, and you can have drama go against comedy in that if you want. I don't mm. understand it. Mm. Good point. Thank well, you. see, we're we're more than unqualified now. We're partially qualified. It's a hill I will die on now. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, when reality sucks, you can die on hills and be unqualified, partially qualified, or more than qualified with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See ya.